Hello, Hannah here. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standard Issue podcast. This is a recording of a live event that we held at the Shaw Theatre in London on November the 19th. That date rings a bell for you. It's possibly because you follow Richard Herring on Twitter. That is indeed International Men's Day. So because we think that gender inequality is rubbish for everyone, we decided to hold a a special event where we invited men onto the stage. I know. And if you can believe it, men can actually be funny too. We had some proper cracking guests. There was Richard Osman, Ellis James, Tom Allen and Sanjeev Bhaskar. And Sarah and I had an absolute ball talking to them. Um, We talked about all sorts of stuff, um, some of it quite surprising, including Pinterest, but also about who we'd like to go out for a pint with, whether or not you should read reviews, whether or not the ability to actually get on the right train should be regarded as a personal strength. Um, We were undecided on that, to be honest, so make your own mind up. I'll be back at the end with a bit more admin, but until then, just tuck into this. Welcome to the Standard Issue Podcast. Thanks, guys. Should we do introductions? Yeah, why not? Uh, Hannah, do you want to start? So this is uh, your name, uh, what you do, and a random fact about you. Okay, so my name is Hannah Dunleavy. I am one of the people who write, make, produce the Standard Issue Podcast. And I've not heard back about my pointless application. (laughs) Just saying. <laughs> I mean, do you want to talk about it now? Um, <laughs> where, how long ago was it that you put your application in? How it was. It was relatively recent. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. Is it, Richard, what happens when somebody applies? How do you know about this bit? I know. It's not a lot of the your time, job. it depends what sort of photo you attached, because okay. sometimes. What I will say was, I was in a funny <laughs> mode. And um, and a bit drunk, so uh, I suppose I probably did. That's normally who we go for. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I perhaps didn't give a, the best account of myself in uh, however many characters you get to do it in. Well, we'll look forward. To, maybe we'll get an update on that at some point. That's very exciting. Maybe. Thank you, uh, Sanjeev. Uh, uh, Sanjeev Baskar. I'm a, uh, I act and I write and uh, various things like that. And I once threw stones at uh, President Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I love Jimmy Carter. Yeah, so did I. But uh, I was that's a kid. An odd way and of it. Well, he was he was driving past our school. His motorcade was driving past our school, and there were a bunch of kids that were standing near a fence. And we saw this huge just motorcade. just behind a grassy knoll, right? <laughs> there was. It could have been someone on the grassy knoll. I wasn't sure. I wasn't looking in that direction. No, there was only one of me, and uh, and there were about four or five of us. And there was there was a couple of black kids. There was a kind of a Chinese kid, I think. It was like a little United Nations kind of group. There was. <laughs> And we saw the motorcade go past and someone said, that's Jimmy Carter. We were going, Jimmy, Jimmy. And we kind of ran alongside um, our side of the fence. And, uh, and then it, there was a truck or something that blocked their way, so they had to stop. And so we were still shouting, Jimmy, but he wasn't waving back by now. And then one of the kids said, do you think his secret service men have guns? And if we throw stones, do you think they'll get out and we'll see the guns? So we started... <laughs> Lobbing stones. We started as lobbing stones, and then we started shouting anti-American sentiments as well. We were all about 12, and uh, I don't think any of the stones quite reached the car, so the guys didn't get out. But we did see Jimmy Carter just look really confused. It was just 10 seconds before we were going, Jimmy, hey! And then we were going, get out, get out, Vietnam, get out, bastards! So, yeah, that was it. That's a great random fact. Thank you. Tom? 
Hello, um, uh, my name's Tom Allen, and um, I'm a stand-up. And um, recently I was described as being Kirsty Allsop trapped inside Phil Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> that is... I agree. I absolutely mm, yeah. agree. I was pleased with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who was that that described you? Was that? Um, it was somebody I was on a date with, actually. <laughs> So, um, yeah, yeah. So it's going well. (laughs) And I am looking for a house, so it will make sense. (laughs) Richard? Hello, I am Richard Osman. I am, I I suppose, the Bob Holness of my generation. (laughs) The Bob Holness of the Snapchat generation. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly that. Uh, My uh, random fact, just to put the rest of the panel into uh, perspective, my random fact is I am five foot ten. (laughs) Five foot ten. Um... Are you still growing? Uh, no, not upwards, no. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, okay, I wasn't sure what was growing, sorry. I got momentarily confused. Honestly, you invite men and it just goes downhill <laughs> straight away. Ellis. Hello. Hi. My name's Ellis. Uh, I'm a stand-up and I do a radio show. Um, Oh, okay, random fact. Uh, When I was doing Edinburgh, I once got the following review in the Daily Mirror. On this performance, his relatively high profile in Wales beggars belief. (laughs) (laughs) That is harsh. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a great gig. (laughs) But, you know, in in fairness, you know, he he wrote it as he saw it. Mm. And, you know, I... I, I, They're up and down, aren't they? Do Do you always read reviews? Yes, I'm too nosy. Oh, nosy. Okay. Oh yeah, I, I would. I think you know if you've if you've got up up there and and performed something, I would like to know what people think of it because they always surprise me. They always pick out things that I would never pick out. Izzy, my girlfriend's a stand-up, and she never ever reads reviews. But I am far too intrigued. See, I can't you just tell from how it's gone? Like the audience have laughed or they haven't laughed, and just take it from that. Yeah, it's just, um, well, that Daily Mirror review, he said his, um, what was it? Like his, you can't remember no, it. No, his, <laughs> no, his habit of ending routines with, oh, there we are then, becomes great after 20 minutes. <laughs> and I stopped doing it. Oh, <laughs> I really? had realised I did it, yeah. Oh, there we are then. <laughs> So, yeah, I would, I would always read reviews. See, Tom, you told me uh, a good few years ago that you read your... Say, for the, the Edinburgh Fringe, you yes. would read your reviews in the, like, the following March with a glass of wine. Is that still the same? Because I thought that was brilliant, because you read them, but they're not affecting you while you're doing the show. Um, yes, I do do that to an extent. I certainly wait till after the festival now, or any kind of high-stress situation. Like, I just think somebody else is words about what I've been doing aren't actually that helpful a lot of the time. Um, but now I actually try and ignore them as much as possible because as RuPaul says... Uh, actually, I can't remember what he said. Um, uh, something like... <laughs> RuPaul says something like, other people's opinions are none of my goddamn business. Um, so, that sounds quite RuPaul. So that feels like it's quite a RuPaul thing to say. And it's kind of true, like, actually... Or other people's opinions, yeah. It, actually, sometimes we can place too much weight on, like, what does everyone think of me? And actually, sometimes in life, it's good just to go, I, don't, I haven't got time for that. I'm just on my path. I just want to keep going. I don't mm. want to worry about what, 
you know, because who knows why that person is writing that thing. It's always going to be conditioned by... I, I remember my first Fringe, uh, I got a review, and I used to ask which day people were in. So you'd go like, oh, the Telegrapher in that day, or the Guardian that day. So then mm. if they gave it a, a, you know, whatever review I got, I'd think, oh, that was that night, and actually that was a really good one, so they're full of shit. Or, oh, actually that was quite a three-star show. Um, and I got one review that said she should never talk to the audience because she's horrible at it. And I got, so I didn't talk to the audience that night because I was so thrown by it. And then, then the next time, the next review I got, which had been from the same night that this review had come in, I got one that said she should talk to the audience more because it's really funny. <laughs> and so I was thinking, oh, so yeah. they balance out so nobody's opinion matters now. Yeah, yeah. But I still always read them and it's not because it's yeah. nosy, it's because it's because I'm needy. <laughs> <laughs> they also, Somebody they like me, please. <laughs> they, they often... Um, Critics who haven't done the thing that you're doing often don't understand it. Mm. So one of the reviews I got in Edinburgh, my stand-up is very anecdotal, and you have to do a bit of audience chat at the start for them to get to know you, to allow you to do your anecdotes, unless you're famous. Especially, it was my first show, so nobody knew who I was. And uh, I got a review from a very established, well-thought-of crit critic, and he said his, you know, his banter at the start is pointless, he should just get on with it. But all the anecdotal comics knew why I was doing that. Mm. And they all said, oh, I saw that. That was nonsense. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's true. It's because if you don't do that, then the show suffers. But because they haven't... Because they're not you and they don't do what you do, they don't realise because they just see you on the night. So I always think that, in effect, some of those reviews are quite unfair. I heard on um, Stuart Goldsmith's Com Compod, Carl Donnelly say that reviews aren't for us. And I thought that was really interesting. He doesn't read his reviews because he said they're for the public. They're, for, they're to help the public decide what shows to see and what shows to avoid. And they're not for us. So therefore, we don't need to read them. And I thought, oh, God, I wish I could just stick to that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, though. Everyone in life has got a little group of people whose opinions they care about. So you, you'll have people in your family or friendship group, mm -hmm. if they come and see you, then you want to hear what they've got to say because they know you, that they understand what you've, what you've been through and all of that. So you listen to those people. But uh, it's sort of random anybody else. I don't know why you would listen... I'd try and avoid it at all costs. Someone sent me one the other day saying that um, uh, Jim Davidson had said I was the worst thing on television. I thought, well, that's finally a good review. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, critics, they, kind, they hunt in packs and they become interested in the same thing at the same time. And then, especially when I was a younger comic, I used to try and apply what was fashionable to my own set. And then it would be 2011, I was thinking, right... This year is the year I'm going to start doing some mime, despite, <laughs> <laughs> despite having never done mime. If that's what they want. How, oh. does, how does it work with... Sorry, Hannah. How does it work with, with acting, though? With, when, so if a, if a newspaper reviews a programme you're in, uh, Sanjeev, how, how do you read that? How does it affect you? I, I read everything. Do yeah, you? I do. And I, I kind of wonder, because uh, Mira, my wife, doesn't read anything. Oh. Uh, and... Uh, I think like Ellis was saying, I'm kind of curious, but also now I think so much of the debate and the narrative that happens on social media is fueled by the reviews. It's not fueled by your family or loved ones and their kind of point of view. But the interesting thing is that kind of pushes the narrative, but then people who you know, did like it, for instance, are on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, basically having that argument, having the counter-argument, which is kind of interesting to watch. I, I don't know whether it's because I started so late. I was 33 before I started acting. So um, uh, I, I don't know, be, be just because it's, I started later, that 
people's opinions just didn't matter quite as much to me. Yeah. But also I got very good at kind of sifting through, and people who, who uh, it hasn't happened for some time, but people who would come up and say, I saw your program, it was shit. Um, I kind of go, do you know what, it, it's not useful to me at all. Yeah. And, and thanks, mum. Um, yeah. That's when it's really conflicting, when you get a good review in the paper and your mum's going, it's shit. I know you, you're my son. I gave birth to you, it's shit. Um, this reviewer doesn't know you. But it's, uh, but it's, it's, it is that, you know, I'd kind of go, that's not useful to me. Somebody who's, who would say, I saw you in that thing, I, I thought you were shit because I just didn't believe uh, that when you were emotional, you got emotional. I'd kind of go, okay, well, the, the first bit, the shit bit, that's just the insult, I don't need that. But let me explore the other bit. Mm. And on occasions, you kind of go, yeah, do you know what, they have a point. Yeah, maybe I wasn't as convincing as I thought I was, or maybe that needs work. So I'll take out of it something that's useful. So the rest you can of it's look at it chaff. quite objectively. That's good then. It's not you're not too you don't get upset by it. You can actually learn something from it. Yeah. Well, you try. Mm. I mean, and the other people, you just you can just have them killed because there's <laughs> a you get to a certain point where you make enough contacts that you can just kind of mm. ring people and um, scare I ju- them. I just like to say I wrote a really good review of uh, Unforgotten. If um, it's online, if you <laughs> ever I go not, I read that. I read that. I, <laughs> I, I, we, we don't do bad reviews, particularly in Standard Issue. If, it, if, I don't, if, if I don't enjoy it, I just don't write about it. I can't see the point. Because I can tell you this, as someone who reviews extensively, it's a lot easier to write a bad review than it is to write a good review. It's a lot easier to... to to pick and, you know, make fun and jibe at something than it is to look for the sort of creative... That's what I always try and do on Twitter. I get in trouble from it. If ever, with TV especially, everyone wants to slag everything off. If ever I see something that I love, I always say, I was, oh, this is brilliant. Even yesterday, the Michael McIntyre uh, show, which is brilliantly produced, and that's my day job. So I went on and said, this is so well produced. It is beautifully put together. Uh, and the, the, the abuse you get yeah. for saying something is good is, um, but people go, no, it's shit. I lasted one minute and I turned it over. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever seen. You think, I just objectively know you're wrong. I understand you might not like it, and that's okay, by the way, but it really is well put together and it's good. And, you know, it just, it just is, but people don't like it. And people go, well, you like everything. You think, no, I, I just, if I like something, I'll, I'll say that I do, and I won't say if I don't like something. I, I found, I'm, I try and approach them quite objectively. I think I'm far less sensitive than most comics. It just doesn't bother me, and I... When I talk to all the other comedians and see how much it bothers them, I occasionally think that I have some deficiency and that I should be more well, what sensitive. Useful, what a useful deficiency you have. Yeah, <laughs> but with um, my mum, this is a very Welsh thing, but my, when I was, if anyone was ever nasty to me at school or something, my mum was like, oh, puff to them. <laughs> and I just think I developed a, an ability to do that. But with what, sorry, what did, what did she, she would say? say what did I know. Yeah. What I heard was she you said someone said something she, mean. Your mum went puff to them. No, 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 no. That's what I heard. No. <laughs> it's a very well, it's a very Welsh thing. <laughs> Is it a Welsh word? Is yeah, it a Welsh not word? quite. It's, it's not a, a Welsh, Welsh word. word. I'm just throwing you But it means it means puff. Uh, like, oh, like uh, be gone with them as in like, like be gone with you sod yeah. them but it's in a like, nicer way it's like not so- sod them Sarah come <laughs> on <laughs> it's, kind, it's kind of so naive that it could be mis- it's misinterpreted as in like gone in a puff of smoke yeah yes yeah. absolutely or puff of smoke as <laughs> yeah. I would have said but, um, yeah. but I, I found when I was reviewed uh, the things I'd been on in, on telly 
I was able to distance myself even more because there are so many people involved in making a television programme. It is vast that you just think, well, I was just the actor. Mm. Um, whereas with stand-up, it is, it's, it's your idea, you wrote it and you performed it. And also, I suppose, with because you do personal stuff, yeah. it feels like somebody's kind of criticising you mm. rather than your show. Yeah, but then... You know. I try. You know how when you read a review, you try and pick out a good quote because that might be something you can put on your posters if you're at the fringe or whatever. And I had a review once. Um, uh, I was at the Hammersmith Apollo, and uh, and it was quite. It found it quite an intimidating venue. And I was at the interval, and I read a review like an idiot because somebody sent me it on Twitter. How? What did you read in the interval of that show? No, no, of like a previous oh, night. Oh right, okay. Um, and it wasn't a great review. It was alright. It was a like three star. But the journalist had said because um, I decided to pick out something that made me laugh so I could get out and do the second half, something that I found silly about it. And the review had said, he chatted to his wife on the way in and said they thought they, that I was spreading myself too thin. So I decided instead of picking a positive quote, about, yeah. I would pick that instead. And I walked out in the second half to do the, the rest of the show with the quote, too thin, the telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me happy. <laughs> Bearing in mind that men and women should always face the same questions, I think maybe we'll open with the question, you know, how do you combine having a career and a family? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> how do you juggle it all? Um, um, no, the first question that I, I think we want to ask is, if we were only going to talk about one thing tonight, if we were sticking to one topic, what do you love talking about? What are you really comfortable with? You know, that thing on your foot, politics, sport, music. What well, did you just say? Mind. That thing that on, thing your, on foot. your foot? You know, sometimes you get a bit obsessed with something, don't you? I think how to juggle <laughs> career and family <laughs> is the thing that I kind of would quite like to talk about the most. <laughs> Shall <done>. I? <laughs> One word, I cow. I cow? Yeah. What's that? I don't know what well, that is. Well, um, it's a Google calendar on your phone. Because I, I am juggling my career and family, so it just means that you, uh, I can see Izzy's calendar on my phone and she can see mine. So whenever I, if I put something in, I make sure that Izzy isn't doing something. I, I have exactly the same thing. Yeah. We have to put in, we have a shared family calendar. Yeah. So we know kind of who's around when. Look at this, men have been waiting to answer this question. <laughs> can I thought I was joking. As Hannah said before, I'm going to ask this question. It's a funny question. We won't make them answer it. And they fucking want to. This is great. It is true. My kids are now 19 and 17. So I've genuinely, I've left it all behind. But you know, it's, it's, it is unbelievably difficult for 18 years. And now it's so so easy. You've only got about another 15 years to go. Yeah. And it's of the absolute nightmare of uh, child admin. I mean, yeah. we have something similar. We don't do the fancy diary. We have paper diaries, Gary do you? and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and we scribble who's looking after the dog. So it's very similar to having a child. Yeah. But how long can you leave your daughter on her own for? Because <laughs> we, can, we can do four hours with the dog. You can get those bowls where, they, uh, yeah. where the food and, and it's, comes it's, up. It's, it's got a name on it and everything. Yeah. Is she in a crate? <laughs> <laughs> you get kid walkers. He'll come oh, round and take your kid out for a take walk. Take your kid out yeah. for a walk. Yeah. Let her do a couple of wheeze. Bring her back in again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it was similar. I didn't realise how similar. Uh, <laughs> so what, if you could talk about anything, what would you talk about, Ellis? Well, I, I, I just genuinely love chatting. About anything. So I will talk about anything. I mean, I, I, I love sport. I like 
other things as well. That you can't <laughs> think of right now. <laughs> I, like, I like history, I like, I like politics, I like comedy, I like music. Loads of things. Yeah, all of the classics. I don't like cars. You don't like cars? No, not interested, really. I've you, got a car. But, but it's just a functional thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not interested in cars. No, no. Are you interested in cars, Tom? Thank you for asking me, Richard. <laughs> no, but I feel like maybe as, 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 as a panel of men, we should, we should get our opinions yeah. on cars out it's quite it, early. What's I've your favourite gear? I've just... <laughs> leather. But um, I've... Uh, <laughs> I'm just proud of myself then. I've, um, I just passed my driving test in January, so I have been driving quite a lot recently. Um, and I have really enjoyed it. And so I do quite like talking about cars all of a sudden, because it's something I felt very excluded from for a long time. As a gay man, I felt very excluded from talking about families for a long time. We'll come on to that later. But, um, I, um, but yeah, cars I quite like. And I've got a Renault Megane on hire at the moment. It's a GTI. The radio is so complicated. <laughs> It's a nightmare. You're going along 68 miles an hour, always under the speed limit, thank you, and second gear. And you try... You've got to go through this... Handbrake still on. The handbrake obviously still on, for safety, just in case. Foot firmly on the clutch. And um, the... Wouldn't dream of driving an automatic. You cannot trust the robots. I've seen Terminator. So I... You, you have to scroll through all these menus, and I could not get... I just want to listen to Radio 2, Steve Wright in the afternoon. Factoids... I couldn't, couldn't get it. It's very complicated. So now I'm interested in cars. I want to watch that programme, Top Gear. That programme. <laughs> when you first learned to drive, when I first learned to drive, I, I developed calluses on my yeah. palms. Did you get that? Ten- well? Tension because from I'm my elbow down, <laughs> going like that on the wheel. the wheels. So the, tight. the car can go all over the place on the motorway. <laughs> if you do that, it can. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you do that. Or if there's like a bump in the road, mm. then you, can, you have to be very, my, you have to pay driver, a lot of attention. My driving instructor said that I drove like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I was How just very that? close to the steering wheel and sort of hunched over. Serial killers drive very, very carefully. Yeah. Because you don't want to be accidentally arrested. That's the, uh, that's oh, the one of the key. No, got a body in the boot. Most serial oh, killers, just, they get yeah. arrested for driving offences. Yeah. Two miles yeah. beneath fr- the speed limit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Hang on a second. That's a very cautious way of <laughs> driving. <laughs> <laughs> You start living on the edge more. You're going to get pulled over a lot. A friend of mine has the neatly trimmed pubic hair of a serial killer. It, uh, what, it's, like in a bag? In a, it's like... It's like it's <laughs> <laughs> can you I, guess whose it is? I assumed it was topery when you said that. Yeah, like it's, it's, it. like, it's like Wimbledon down there. So what, it got neat. white marks on it? <laughs> yeah, there's a line Mixed up all sorts. Poor guy. Um, okay, I should wow. ask a question. What um, would you talk about if you could talk about anything, Sarah? Oh, the dog. Is, no question, the dog. The dog or me. But if I talk about me, I'm going to talk about my relationship with the dog. <laughs> I accidentally told the dog out loud that I loved him more than Gary the other day. And, like, I normally just whisper. <laughs> but I said it out loud and Gary heard. And he went, yeah. <laughs> Because he loves the cat more than me. He, um, he's not great at smiling for photos, my husband. And then I saw him recently stroke one of our cats and smile at the cat with such a beautiful smile. And I said, I don't know if I've seen you do that smile. And, like, we're married. And he was like, oh, well. But he strokes the cat. 
with this beautiful, like, content smile on his face. Oh. And then when I ask for a smile, I get, like, Wallace and Gromit smile, like, ah, <laughs> a really fake one. But the dog, because he's the Seems best. Seems like a good choice. Yeah, what about you? Um, currently, probably Blue Planet. <gasps> Blue Planet. Yeah, I am kind of obsessed. Because the best thing about it is you get to tell... You get to say stuff that ordinarily sounds like complete bullshit, but it's actually true. There are, like, fish that look like John Merrick living under the sea, and then when the women get to a certain size, they turn into men. That's literally man's worst nightmare happening <laughs> under the sea. Is it under the sea, or is it in the sea? Or in the sea. Well, I mean, yeah, but they are... I mean, they're all disgusting. They're all, like, if you saw it in real life, you'd be like, hit it with a shoe. What is it? <laughs> I don't like it. But it's a good job David Attenborough doesn't think like yeah. you. I don't think he does it anymore. Don't say that. I think he's getting... They don't let him go down, like... He you sits in a studio and has don't a little chit-chat now. Clownfish change sex, don't they? Nemo. They, they're, 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 uh, they are different genders at different stages of their um, existence. Yeah. And can they choose that? They don't, no. They, they transition at some point, just naturally. The oh. only thing scientists have proved, the one thing they can prove, is when they turn from male to female, they start earning 20% less. That's the only <laughs> thing they've proved. to know what is the best and worst thing about your work and lives Sanjeev let's start with you so let's start with what's the worst thing about your work and life oh gosh the worst thing about it um I suppose it's the insecurity I mean it's not particularly original but you never know at any point when you might work again um so you can have months off and that then has kind of ramifications for paying the mortgage and all that kind of stuff so the um that inconsistency, I suppose, is the worst part of it. Is it tricky to book holidays, then? Yeah, well, the thing is that also, um, Mira and I try to stagger our work so that one parent's always at home. So, yeah, we uh, did that as well. Yeah, I can. You were Mira. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's been so good why she's doing it. This yeah. is... Well, the, 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 uh, the Asians and the Welsh are very close in accent, and so... <clears throat> We do bond in very strange and original ways. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we try, to, we try to stagger out. It's a, um, you know, sometimes we try to work, uh, so we have got a week off that we can go away. But, you know, if you've got a low-paying year, then you have to sort of not have a fancy holiday. Mm. Um, and what's the best thing? The best thing is just... The thing I really love about what I do is, you know, it's that most people have to work for a living. Right? And I, which I did up until I was 33. And that means going to a job that you may not really love uh, because that's what you have to do. You have to do to survive and be part of society. So to, to get to do something that I really, really love is an extraordinary feeling. And the other thing is that uh, being creative, you know, your tribe, for me, my, my tribe became other people who are creative because suddenly you kind of go, yeah, these, these are my people. And the fact that us here, or any one of us, the audience here, or anybody listening, and I could come up with something that I could never have come up with on my own, to me, is magical. It's absolutely extraordinary. And whether that comes through conversation or through writing or um, uh, producing a series or whatever, I find that absolutely incredible, that there are me and someone else and other people can create something that I could never have come up with on my own. Mm. Thank you. Tom? Sorry, what what's, we what's the worst thing um, no, uh, um, the, about your work um, and life? I really enjoyed your response there, Sergio. Oh, so, yeah, I love the idea of something magical created with people. I was going to say the best thing. Yeah, I, I love the idea of meeting, always being able to uh, 
always being able to meet new people I think it's always so stimulating like I like as a, as a stand-up I get to go to different places I meet different people who work in theatres um, sometimes you know I feel like I'm meeting the audience in a way I love I love that constant sort of refreshment and sort of constantly broadening of of kind of of the my view of the world I love that um, I think the most difficult thing I've found is uh, having or sort of having time to have any kind of uh, personal relationships, I think that that can sometimes suffer. And I realised, sort of, in the last year or so, like how it's very easy to let friendship slide. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to hold down a, a romantic relationship. I think. Um, I think. Yeah, I noticed. Like suddenly, I was seeing on social media, like, oh, that person's getting married. Oh, and everyone else is going. Oh, and I haven't been invited. And it's like, maybe they never liked me in the first place. That's fine. But that's unthinkable. <laughs> <laughs> Look, frankly. I've apologised for this, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, some, and then you go, oh, it's because I haven't seen that person for 18 months. Mm. Of course, why would they invite me to their wedding? And so that sort of thing, I think you have to work... It means you have to work harder, I suppose, to have a... I've found, to, to have any kind of personal life. Mm. Richard? Well, speaking as a, as in, with my producer's head on, which is what I've done for most of my career for 25 years, it is it's that thing of of all you're always working in a big team. All this it's like doing a school play every day of your life, um, and it's such an absolute treat. And everyone's brilliant at different things and bringing those people together. And also because I've done it for so long, people who you employed as runners who then become associate producers, then producers, then they sort of run channels, and then they're running companies. And just seeing these brilliant people who are nervous and sort of wasn't, weren't quite sure if this is, is this the thing I'm going to do with my life? And then you look at them now, and they're kind of mid-30s or they're 40, and they've got kids, and they've got these amazing jobs, and they do incredible shows. Um, that's the thing, just that kind of continuum. I'm just incredibly proud of so many people I've, I've worked with, and just teams of people. And I always think with telly, some people who work in telly, not many are horrible bullies. They just are. Uh, and I always think it's just television. And if you can't have fun making television, then you're really, really, really bad at your job, is my opinion. So the second anyone shouts at someone or is a bully, I think, well, you're really terrible at what you do. And I've always tried to surround myself with fun, interesting, funny, clever, smart people. And I've, I've, I've been quite lucky in that regard. And is that the worst part of your work in life, that you have to sometimes work with the twats? Um, do you know what? I, because, because I've been around long enough, I've, I've managed to divest myself of most of the twats over the years, <laughs> which is great. And you learn who not to work with fairly quickly. Mm. The only bad... But listen, I've got, I love what I do. I love the in front of the camera and behind the camera. I've just finished a run of 80 episodes of Pointless, and that gets quite tiring. That's the worst part of my job. And you could never, no one will ever give you any... Um, uh, no, no, quite rightly, no one will ever give you any sympathy for that. <laughs> you just go, I just finished 80 episodes again. Yeah, fuck you, I just taught. Yeah, no, but I see that. But how many episodes do you record in a day? Four a day. We Four do. a day. Yeah. See? I know, but it's, you know, it's kind of fine, isn't it? It's not, it's, I'm not mining anything, but it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite tiring, <laughs> that's all. I had a, um, I had a meeting literally just after we finished on Thursday with, uh, with Susie Dent and Rachel Riley. And you've never heard three people complain more about having to record lots and lots of episodes of popular television programmes. <laughs> We're just going, oh, it's awful, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Ellis? Uh, the best thing about it is that I never, ever, ever feel like I'm working. Oh. I love every second of it. So I, did, I do lots of different things now. And um, I was on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, which is a very big football podcast, but it's always journalists. They, they never have comedians on. And I was obviously hugely out of my depth, so we recorded at 10 o'clock, just on the road, actually, and um, 
At 3 a.m. the morning before, uh, the night before, I was up revising South Africa versus Senegal, a game I hadn't even realised was happening. <laughs> we, we, and it actually happened twice because they had to replay it because of a poor refereeing decision. So I, you know, I had to play catch up. What was the poor refereeing decision? It was. Do you know? No, what don't, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and occasionally, as he says, "Oh, you know, you've, you're working really hard," but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that because I had real jobs for a long time and it was dreadful at almost all of them. <laughs> and it was really frightening, actually. But when I got to about 26, 27, I thought, shit, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do this for the rest of my life and I haven't found the right thing yet. So I, I always remember that. And um, it's quite inspiring having done things that you're bad at when you find something that you're quite good at because you know, I, I, didn't, I, I don't know what other option I would have. If, if, this didn't, if this stopped working out, I'm not sure what I'd do. The worst thing is that I haven't had a weekend for 13 years because I used to do gigs every Friday and Saturday and often Sunday, and now we do the radio show on a Saturday. And I don't mind it. I love the radio show. It's the best thing in my life, really, in terms of my work life. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I save. But... Uh, you know, you're very out of sync with everyone else. So my sister's had a has has a you know a, a young child. I'd love to see my sister, my brother-in-law, but they worked in the week. They are only really free on Saturdays, and all of my normal friends are only free on Saturdays, and I work. So that that that's the only downside. Okay. I for me, I think um, interesting what you were saying, Ellis, about uh, how it doesn't feel like work. Um, I think for me. The best thing is, so at the moment, I'm in the middle of creating my show. So I go on tour in the middle of January, and I love this bit. I love the bit where I'm finding little tweaks and changing things and changing the order around and, and making it better each time, and I love the process of that. But I think the worst part is that it doesn't feel like work, and I think that's a bad thing for me because it means I do it too much and I burn out. Yeah, I wrote a show in September, and... It didn't really feel like work. I would say the other bad thing is the driving. Mm. I used to drive 25,000 miles a year, which even taxi drivers sort of go, bloody hell, when you yeah. tell them that. And I hated being in the car. But it means you can never switch off. Because when I, I used to work in pubs, but when you've, when you've knocked off, you, you, there are no more pints you can serve. Mm. So... It's your time. But because you're creating material or having ideas, you can be in, you know, it depends if you're with somebody who understands. Yeah. So if I, you know, I can be doing anything with my husband, and if something funny occurs to me, I will stop and make a note. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean anything. <laughs> but if you're out with friends who aren't in the industry and yeah. you stop in the middle of a like I just go to the toilet. Just... Everyone thinks oh, I have terrible problems. Cause, uh, <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, do they because, just think you've got IBS? <laughs> because it, yeah, because it looks mega rude if something Yeah, if you just happens. make a note of what somebody's just said to you. And you're not even texting. You're just on your the, the notes application. Yeah, yeah. So I just say, sorry, I've, uh, I've really got into spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, when he makes a note, he'll do a voice note instead. So he'll oh. do a little record. But I always run at him while I see him doing it and shout at the end, I love you. <laughs> so then in like a month's time when he's got a new material gig and he listens to them back he just hears me in the background going I love you Gary and he finds it very sweet uh, and that makes up for me like just hold on what you're doing I've got to make a note of that um, 
If you could go out for a pint with any man, living, dead, person from history, who would you go with? Let's start with Richard. Um, Denzel Washington. Oh, that's a bit left field. That's Why? easy. Oh, just because he's my go-to, what guy would you do anything with? It would be... I, did, I didn't say do anything. <laughs> that wasn't the be, question. Yeah, but listen, if I go out for a drink, if I go out for a drink, but, you know, we know where it's going to end up. <laughs> One thing does lead to another, yeah. I find. <laughs> I find. <laughs> Turns out Washington's a good choice. Don't you think? I might change mine now. Denzel Washington. Well, we get, we'll, we'll actually get to answer with a man's name this time because yeah, we yeah, normally yeah. answer this question with a woman's name. But, um, you know, it's a men's day, apparently. <laughs> Tom? You can't say Denzel Washington. Oh, damn it! He's busy. Firstly, I don't drink pints. <laughs> what That's would you, my response. What would you have? <laughs> what drink would you have? Um, maybe a gin and tonic. Depends what time of the day it is. But okay. I wouldn't drink a pint. I find it very bloating. Mm. And I have to think about my figure. <laughs> so, um, I would say, well, I've always, ever since I was a child, I always really loved Elton John. So I'd like to meet Elton John. I don't think he'd drink a pint either. So, um, Do you think he'd agree to meet you? No. <laughs> I, but ever since I was a teen, I mean, yeah. I mean, the signs were there. I still had to come out. But they, um, yeah, I think Elton John would be a fun I person. think you got a chance. I think it's more likely you'll get to go out for a drink with Elton John than I will with Denzel Washington. But how do you even... But when people become a certain level of famous, there are certain certain people who will then ring them. And Elton's one of those guys. What do you mean? As soon as someone becomes, gets this famous, they get invited around to Elton John's house. Oh, really? Yeah. Gosh, I've got to keep working at this, haven't I? I tell you Um, what, if you do three more mock the weeks, you'll be at Elton's. (laughs) Do you think, Richard? And you'll be drinking champagne out of a lily. Oh, I'd love that. (laughs) And he'll be dressed as Mozart or a pantomime dame. (laughs) Wow, Charles II. I always get my Elton John stories mixed up. Is he flowers everywhere or is he new socks every day? Flowers everywhere. everywhere. New socks every day, I think, was Frank Sinatra. Was it? And for a time, Dudley. A lot of people have had that sort of new socks thing. I sometimes buy like a pack of three pairs and then I have three days of feeling like, well, I Mm. thought it was Elton John, but now it's Frank Sinatra. You've ruined it. Um, I used to have a lodger who was a nurse. She worked at Adelbrook's Hospital. Who was Elton John? No, no. (laughs) Uh, She was a nurse. She worked at Adelbrook's Hospital. She came home one day and told me that that they'd had a delivery of flowers onto the ward and that they have to say the same thing that they say to everybody, which is, you know, we're not allowed to take flowers on the ward because of... And, uh, and she said, and then she saw this thing arrive, and apparently it was for someone on the ward who was a friend of Elton John's, and this, like, just seriously, like, 4,000 flowers arrived oh, in a big wow. bouquet. And they had to say, no, and send it well, back. You can't have flowers on the ward? <coughs> no. What, in hospital? No. Oh, I'd rather die. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, Some medical well, professional came marching along and said, no, you can't have those flowers, I'm afraid. They bring well, in germs. Political correctness got mad. Is, is there nothing left to live for? <laughs> Kill me now. Yeah. I would be so fair. depressed and so depressed by the food as well uh, at hospital mm. Mm. I'd have to get constant um, like a hotel or something to deliver me food I think would they do that? the delivery <laughs> deliver to hospitals I bet they do yeah that's a question they probably do that's yeah. something that could make a positive impact on people's lives yeah. <laughs> pizza express I was express say, I'm hospital. looking forward to seeing what happens when you have to go to hospital Tom but that feels really bad yeah. death immediate <laughs> I'd be like the cream oh room? this is uh, this is awful this, the lighting is all wrong <laughs> kill me you can't use your mobile either right can you not how would no. I use grinder you're not supposed to <laughs> I know and with all those doctors as well I know what a missed opportunity yeah. um, but 
hang on, if you can't have, you can't have flowers, but could you have a salad? That's just flowers. I, <laughs> I don't make the rules, yeah, Hannah, Tom. Come on. I don't make the rules. I don't know. So, so Denzel Washington, Elton John, Sanjeev, who would you go for a drink with? I, can I choose someone who, who, uh, who was a friend? Yeah. Is that all right? He's no longer with us. Roger Moore. Oh, yeah. Who was just the most wonderful man. Oh. Very funny, fantastic um, uh, memory as well. Full of anecdotes, incredibly generous. And, uh, but I never went for a pint with him. So that's the one thing that I wish I'd done. But he was, he was fantastic. Well, the first time I met him, I said, um, Roger, I said, um, I, it was watching you as a kid. Uh, on The Saint and The Persuaders and his James Bond that made me want to be an actor, I think. And he said, he stopped, he thought for a second and he said, well, of course you thought if he can get a job, anyone can. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, he was always lovely. He was fantastic. So, oh, yeah, nice. Roger Moore. I turned down the opportunity to have a pint with Johnny Marr once because I thought I'd get it wrong. Oh, I thought oh that too I much would, pressure. Too much pressure. Whereas now, I've developed, this was... About ten years ago, as now I, I am confident enough that if if it were to arise again, I would go for it because he, he's a real real hero of mine. And do you think he'll ask again? No. What happened was he was in a band uh, called the Cribs, and they were playing in Cardiff about ten or eleven years ago. And my then girlfriend was DJing at an indie club, and they just went there for a, for a drink. But obviously, because it was Johnny Man in indie club, the place went crazy. So he he kind of took, um, you know, he found, he, he, he was essentially hiding in the DJ booth. And she texted me and said, he's really nice and he's so chatting. He, I've told him that you're a big fan that he'd, and he'd like to meet you. And I turned my phone off. Oh. I thought, I thought, I can't cope with it. No way, I'll get that wrong. So I turned my phone off and I went to bed. And then when I woke up, I had about 50 text messages from people going, I had a drink with Johnny Marr last night, it was amazing. And, oh. But now I think if I could, if, if, it, if it happened if those again. Those really specific circumstances yeah. happen again. <laughs> yeah. You're ready. But I, I reckon I could cope with it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Noel Gallagher on a good day would be another good one. How would you know, though? Well, that's the thing. That's the risk. So I'd be on my best behaviour. Mm, you'd have to get somebody to, like, have a, a pint with him first and see what yeah. he was like. Yeah, and then text me, see how he is. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, because he's apparently... Johnny Ryan's apparently very, very nice and very warm, and but um, I just thought, I'm going to... I'm going to come on too strong, <laughs> in a <laughs> manner of speaking. <laughs> and now you're ready to come on too I am, strong. Yeah, I am ready. And I think he needs to see it. <laughs> Hannah, which bloke would you have a pint with? Would it be a pint? Would it be a cup of tea? Uh, no, it'd probably be a pint, okay. I think, yeah. Or two. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I haven't really thought about this. Oh, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, John Lewis, not the shop. <laughs> <laughs> the American politician um, who is... Uh, Really Great big. returns policy, though, on that shop. He <laughs> <laughs> was really, yeah, he was really big in the civil rights movement. I really like history, so I think if you're going to meet someone who's actually lived through a historical period and they were prepared for me to go, but what about, what about, what about, and ask them, like, 400 questions, that would be perfect. I don't think it'd be any fun for them, to be honest. I would get to have their point as well because they, <laughs> they wouldn't have a, a chance to not speak. But yeah, what about you? I think now that you've said John Lewis, I, I think <laughs> me too, but the shop. <laughs> 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 I don't know, um... I think probably somebody that I loved as a child. So somebody like, like Jason Donovan or Shaken Stevens or somebody like that. Oh, I met Shaky. <gasps> Did you? Yeah, he was great. Can we make this happen? 
<laughs> he was the first man I ever loved, I think. Um, he used to, you know, when you watch the telly and somebody looks at the camera, so it feels like they're looking at you. So whenever he looked at the camera, he was on top of the pub, so I used to dance harder. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought that meant he could see me. <laughs> and my mum used to call, call him a poor man's Elvis. So then I started calling Elvis a poor man's shaky, and she didn't like that at all. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> hell. So was he not? He was nice. He was lovely. Yeah, he really was lovely. He, oh, sang, he sang "Merry Christmas, Everyone" oh. at the end of a pointless celebrity. It was lovely. Oh. Surprisingly good song that "Merry Christmas, Everyone." It is everyone. a good song. Yeah. What do you think is your best quality and your worst quality, or your best habit and your worst habit? Let's start with Sanjeev. Well, uh, uh, gosh, well, my modesty. <laughs> Obviously, is my greatest asset, <laughs> and my generosity is my greatest weakness. Um, I don't, I don't know if I've got any assets really. Um, that's that's always a really difficult question to answer. I, I you know, uh, gosh, I don't know how to answer that. It's for other people really to say. What do you think mine is? Is that yeah, no, you're asking? Yeah. Mine. Uh, Oh, yeah, would that be weird if we all did answer for each other? Yeah. Well, you'd get a more honest no, well, we back to reviews, that. isn't it? <laughs> Come on, these guys just watched me eat a donut. I think we know what they're going to say. Just, <laughs> just can't get it in her face without just spilling it. I, I, do you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm being just, being fair, that's always been a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, but since we're, you know, we're on the, the Standard Issue podcast, my, my, my kind of uh, main... Uh, heroes when I was when I was growing up with my mum, my grandmother, and my sister. So it was mainly women who were who kind of shaped me. Mainly because my mum's side of the family were all really funny and they were witty and uh, they could take a joke. And my dad's side of the family really couldn't. And so I just thought, who do I want to be more like? So and, and in that sense, I kind you know I kind of grew up sort of trying to empathise via them or trying to see the world via them more than the blokes. So I think there's a sense of kind of justice or fairness or, or whatever um, equanimity that came from that. So I, I guess that's an asset, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and weaknesses, cake. <laughs> cake, I've got a sweet tooth. That's it. Nice. Tom? Um, my weaknesses are uh, uh, going to bed. I stay up so late. And yeah. I'm so bad at getting up in the morning. <laughs> and I know I should go to bed early. And then it would make it easier to get up in the morning. But then I still stay up late. What's the yeah. average time you'd go to bed? Two. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that sounds like... No, that Do sounds like audience. me. I'm, so I'm that's they to put, they, if, if God wanted us to go to bed early, he wouldn't put Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares on at 1am. <laughs> it's a great if, show. If you watch that, you can't go to bed anyway because you're really stressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes me anxious and then I can't sleep. Yeah, they're we a can't... family. They can't communicate with each other. What's, why don't they realise? Yeah. If only he had a simpler menu for his restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they're not cooking from fresh. <laughs> you can't take things out of the freezer and serve them to people. It just doesn't work. Stop they... swearing at the customers. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants a countertop that's green. I always, um, I always forget. What is it? The programme? Is it Kitchen Nightmares? Is it mm, actually because mm. we always call it Ramsay's Angry Restaurants? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think and you then, guys are missing out. There's Bullseye on Challenge at that time of the morning. Oh, and oh who's got the energy to scroll all the way up to Challenge, <laughs> Hannah? Win, lose, or draw is sometimes on as well. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Is what? Win, lose, or win, draw? Win, lose, or draw. Really? Oh, yeah. I know oh, that. Yeah. There's also the internet, which you will never finish. <laughs> <laughs> and not, somebody needs to turn that off and yeah. play like the... Like the so oh, big. the picture of the girl with a clown. Yeah, Pinterest. Oh, have you heard of it? It is a <laughs> vortex. See, I, I, can I ask a question, Tom? I'm confused because yes. somebody put me onto Pinterest mm-hmm. and then I... I don't, don't see the point because it's not a shop. Oh, it's yeah, an ideas. I mean, you can sometimes buy things. You then have to go. So, say you were typing in, I don't know, bathroom rugs. I'm not saying that's something I've done. And a rug? Do you mean like a bath mat? Yeah, like a bath mat. Yeah. Yeah, not like a rug. Yeah, I don't know why I said bathroom rug. No, I'm disappointed in you, Tom. I don't. I mean, this is why I need Pinterest to show me the difference. <laughs> Zero so results. Yeah, it says um, no. <laughs> And then you can then go, oh, well, I like that sort of bath mat. Where can I buy that? And then you Google it. So it's but that feels like, a, like you could just Google it anyway, and then it might take you to a shop, and then you could buy it. It feels like a, because Pinterest a pointless a... middleman. Don't, don't call Richard that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, I, um, <laughs> That's quite bad. You're not offended, are you? Hmm? Are you offended? I wasn't listening. Oh. That's good, that's good. <laughs> On the podcast, they won't hear me do that look as well. So it looks like I'm really offended. Um, the, um, I, no, so the Pinterest is a place of dreams. That's what I was going to say. You don't have to buy stuff. It's just like, imagine if I had a New York loft apartment. That's what it could look like. Nothing is real. Do you have your own, is it a board? Yes. And oh. you knew that. Can you I, knew that. Can I look at it? No. Oh, it's private board. Yeah, no, you can look at it, yeah. Can I? Um, one, is, one is called Tom Wardrobe. The other one is called Dream Studio, which is my dream studio apartment. <laughs> that I put... I mean, I'm single, guys. A dream and studio? Yeah. Why, why don't you want... Like, in your dream, why don't you want, like, a house? <laughs> like, you could achieve a studio. Very low self-esteem. Can I, can I just say again? There yes. is bullseye on challenge <laughs> at this time. There's also three, two, one, which I still don't understand the rules mm-hmm. for. Nobody does. Yeah. Um, so, so that's your worst thing. What is your best thing, Tom? Um, oh, my best thing is I'm quite good at booking trains. I can do it like that. <laughs> have, you ever got it, have you ever got it wrong? Yeah. Oh, it so is. So you're not so that good. <laughs> no one said. No one. The question wasn't what are you perfect at. <laughs> It was you best. You did say quite good, and that is quite good if you, if you My don't My dream always. is to live in a studio <laughs> apartment. <laughs> what, what happened when you got it wrong, the trains? When did I get it wrong? What happened when you got... Like, how did you fuck it up? Um, got the... Got, well, I wouldn't go that far. I didn't fuck it up. I just booked the wrong time. And well, that's, buy... that's the only way you can fuck no, it up. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not like you booked a ferry. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's you not... Could get the right, you could I... get the right train... Uh, you could get the wrong train at the right time. Yeah, then I, you're in that's trouble. Another then you're I in once trouble. booked the wrong direction, so I booked. What? In, I was very tired, and I was booking <coughs> at two and three in the morning, booking trains like an idiot. Bullseye on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wondering what the fuck Pinterest was. Um, and I booked instead of London to Newcastle, I booked Newcastle to London. Oh. And then I no. stood. I didn't realise until I stood at the, the train station and couldn't get on the train with my ticket. Yeah, and I cried. (laughs) And I rang my sister, I don't know why, but I rang my sister and she went, just book another ticket and come home. 
Uh, and it meant that the whole amount that I'd earned on the gig had gone on a wrong train ticket and a right train ticket. Oh, yeah, but at least I didn't have to live in London forever. No offence, but that's not worth it. Is it Izzy and I were doing the Machynlleth Comedy Festival in, in Mid Wales, and I was at Euston, where the train goes from, but because Izzy had only ever got trains to Cardiff, she'd assumed that the train was going from Paddington. <laughs> So I, she called me and said, where are you? And I said, I'm by I don't know, Uppercrest. And she said, oh, I'm by Paper Chase. And I said, there is no Paper Chase at Euston. Oh. Well, there she, is, you're wrong. So yeah, well, <laughs> but I know where said, all the Paper Chases are. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Uh, oh, so then, so we missed that train. So she, she got the tube to Euston. And uh, because she was quite upset about it, I took her for a drink. And then we got drunk. And then we missed the next train. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good story, and then, though. And then we, we got to Birmingham and had realised that that train was too late to get the connecting train to Mach, so we had to stay in the ETAP hotel in Birmingham, which was the cheapest hotel we could get. And there was no kettle. A kettle was, a f- it was another five quid. You could probably buy a kettle for yeah, five yeah. quid. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, and um, it was the night of William and Kate's wedding. So we were watched... you supposed to be going? No. <laughs> but it and, was... they were, and they were in the room next door. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, they got there. Um, but uh, it was it was one of those hotels. It was so cheap. It was all done out like uh, the changing room of a leisure centre. There was no carpet or anything. Oh. And the showers in the sink. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. But the showers in the sink. The, no, the, but the shower. There was. It was a walk-in shower, but the entire room it was like a walk-in room with a bed. Walk-in shower with a bed in it. I mean, I'm not oh. making the tap in Birmingham sound a particularly pleasant place to stay, but it was very, very, Sounds very like reasonable. Yeah, it was a bit like prison. I mean, I've never been. But, uh, you but have to pay five pound for a kettle at Wormwood Scrubs. Yeah, do you? Oh, it is absolutely awful. <laughs> that's why. That's why I don't commit crime. Prison is a deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, what are your best and oh, worst qualities? I think I'm terrible at queuing. I can't queue. I cannot oh. queue. I like this new world where you can order everything online because it means you don't have to queue. The worst thing in the world to me, I don't mind a queue if it's like orderly, if it's like one queue. I can't bear anything when there's like two or three queues for the same thing. That's like drives me insane. I could, honestly, I could, I could walk on the moon and at my funeral, my kids would start off by saying, God, he really didn't like queuing. You know, that would be my bit. I, I hate it. And like cinema queues, if there's like three and everyone's like, you know what? You can book your tickets online so easily. And yet you're standing there. You've just bought a combo meal with some nachos and some pick and mix. And now you're choosing your seats for a film you knew you were come to see. That drives me insane. <laughs> so I would say that. And my even temper, I would say, is probably my... Uh, <laughs> My, my, my best. No, it turns out that, that, that booking train tickets is my best thing. I've never had, I've never had any problem. I really? Didn't, I didn't realise it was a skill. I honestly, in my mind, I'd always thought, I always thought it was quite simple. That's I am re-evaluating my own yeah. strengths and weaknesses on the strength of the conversations and answers that followed mine. Yeah. Yours were quite actual, like, real things. Yeah, but... Yeah, you, you regret going first now, aren't you? You gave yeah. out the proper answer. But now I feel like a superhero. <laughs> which I didn't do when I was answering. Ellis? Uh, worst, well, I'm disorganised and I, um, I need a deadline. Mm. So I can't do anything unless there's... Unless I'm 
I've left slightly not enough time to do the job properly. <laughs> Can you give yourself a deadline or does no, that not no. work? No, no. So I need, I need a real sh burst of adrenaline before I'm willing to do anything. You've got 20 seconds to answer this, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it, I, I really hate it about myself because I sort of think if only I could just do stuff mm. and I would do it and then it would get done. Whereas I will kind of, I will potter until 11 pm and then think, oh, fuck, I really should have done that. Mm. Um, my best quality is I am hugely uncompetitive, <laughs> I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I just don't care. But it means I'm never jealous of anyone's achievements because I just don't give a fuck. But like, even with football, Ellis, like you love sports and things. Does football yeah, but, but um, that's I'm, I'm talking in my like, personal life. Like I just... So there, are, there, are, there is plenty of jealousy on the circuit, you know, but if... Like if, if you did... You know, you've done Life of the Apollo, haven't you? Well, I don't like to mention <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, some, some comics would have been very jealous of that, whereas I just don't. Have you Great. not done it? I haven't done it, no. Really? At this I stage just... of your career? You've done it, <laughs> done it right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, even, I'm not even a stand-up, and I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it twice. Yeah. yeah. It's really great fun. I mean, it's just, just, no, listen, it's, it's, all it is is a mark of where you are in your yeah. personal life. It's not, it's not a huge deal, is it? That's exactly what my mum said when she did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah she was very good. Can I just say, anyone, shout out if anyone in the audience, have you done Live at the Apollo? Yeah, most people. Brilliantly, I am pleased for you all. <laughs> Great. Let's all do it. I don't mind. <laughs> Hannah, what I can't believe you haven't done it. <laughs> Hannah, what are your best and worst qualities? Um, yeah, it kind of makes me nervous because there's actually quite a lot of people in the audience who know me, so I can't say something bullshit. Is your worst one shouting. spillages? Uh, yeah, well, I am a really messy eater, but um, uh, yeah, I, don't, I do worse things than that. Um, yeah, I'm really impatient, I have to say. If I have to teach somebody something and they don't get it the first time, they're dead to me. It's just like... Yeah, oh. Just dead to you? Yeah, I just can't... I can't be doing with like people who can't... I once had to explain to my dad over the phone how to use the iPlayer and it was the single most frustrating conversation <laughs> I'd ever had in my life and after an hour and a half I realised he wasn't even on the fucking internet <laughs> and I just things like that I'm just tired like I just I'm tired of explaining things to people I, I start off really enthusiastic like hey you know what you do is you open this and then you do this and then you do this and like, you write it down write it down and then they go, show me it, and they either get it, in which case I'm like, yay, and they don't, in which case I'm like, yeah, I'm not very patient. But, um, and what's your best quality? Uh, I, I don't know, I'm pretty stoic. I don't, I don't tend to get upset by stuff. I pretty just toodle along. I actually am fairly even-tempered. I don't. Well, don't. Unless somebody can't use iPlayer. Unless somebody can't use the iPlayer. <laughs> Tom, it was an hour and a half, and he wasn't even on the internet. <laughs> and he wanted to watch Live at the Apollo. He couldn't see yeah. it. Yeah. Well, he watched his own performance on yeah. Live at the Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we can't accept that as uh, 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 my best quality, I'm struggling to think what it might be. So let's go with That's that. Okay. I can put up with a huge amount of crap, provided I get like a 10 minute whinge every so often with. Mm. With what? Okay. You know, just go, fucking hell. 
Do you have to whisper it? <laughs> I, I do because there's a small child in the room that's associated with me. And if I use swear words anymore in front of him, the ground is literally going to open up and I'm going to... He's associated with you, so. <laughs> sorry. Are you two are you both solicitors? Is he Bruno Mars to your Mark Ronson? I didn't want to embarrass him, but yeah, my nephew is here, so I'm trying not to swear. I tell you, and we met him, he's a fucking lovely little fella as well. <laughs> he was fucking brilliant on Live of the Apollo, I'll give you that. <laughs> All fucking ten times he was on it. <laughs> I'm really sorry, mate. Uh, Sarah? Um, I, uh, was quite a few of the things that you've said I do as well. Like, I, I don't go to bed early, and I go to bed, you see, two is, a, like, that's an early night. It's three or four, often. Well, because we, we watch telly, so we get in from work, and we watch telly, to, like, the windy-down bit of the night, and that's the bit that, sort of, that's... I, w- I once said to a friend that we wanted to move in together so we could... Uh, my husband and I said we could end our days together and I meant like an episode of Frasier and a cup of tea and she thought it was a suicide pact uh, so that's my favourite bit of every day is the, is the when we end our days um, we should move into Switzerland together it'd be great See the in buying the house. Uh, but then, then we decide now it's time to go to bed and then we have to there's stuff to do so we have to take the dog out for a walk you have to empty him. Do you take and the dog out for a walk at like three in the morning? Yeah, it's awesome. Because it, really? the sky is so pretty with stars and there's nobody around. And yeah, it's, it's so awesome. But it dodgy, is. Though. Your dog has a stand up body clock. It, yeah, in the beginning he didn't. So it's great I would... on Live at the Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, in the beginning when we first got him he would get up at like he would wake up at six and he would want to go to the loo and I would take him out and I would be bleary eyed because I got a bed at three um, but then gradually he's got a stand up body clock so he will um, wake up at about nine, nine thirty in the morning and he will have his last walk at probably two or three in the morning and he and only eats against us <laughs> and he does bark when he goes out at three in the morning and we think he's barking to see if anybody's because there's a farm nearby that their dogs are already up sometimes so he barks it my husband thinks he's like is anybody here because he just he's on his own bless him there's nobody else around just us but um so i'm not very good at going to bed uh, and i think a good quality well, I can't say I'm good at booking trains because i'm clearly not um i am productive so i, I I, I can give myself a deadline. Uh, I can't, I'm probably better to other people's deadlines, but I still can give myself a deadline and work towards that and get shit done. I would kill for a bit of that. Well, if you can teach me how to not give a shit about reviews, I'll teach you how okay. to get some shit done. Sure. Oh, all right, right then. We do yeah, a, a trade. Okay. okay, I like that. That's a good plan. What, in your opinion, is the best thing about getting older? Ellis, I'm going to start with you. I don't know how old you are. Mid-30s? I was 37 mm. two weeks ago. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, what's the best thing about getting older, do you think? Um, well, I, I, actually don't, I actually cope very badly with my 37th birthday. Um, <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I think it's because I, I have imposter syndrome, so I still feel I'm about 14. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I've got to do something like buy car tax, road tax, I think to myself, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> <laughs> Me? For a scooter? <laughs> I'm 14. <laughs> um, oh, best thing about getting, getting old. 
Uh, that's actually quite a difficult question. I'd like to say something, because well, I'll, I'll end up saying something really pithy, and then I'll think of something profound about Should we come back later. to you? Yeah, come yeah, back I to me, I don't think please. you've reached the age where it gets better yet if you're 37. I think that's roughly the age at which life starts to get unbelievably awesome, is the truth. Okay. I always think, you know, my son is 17. I was saying to him the other day, it's terrible. Being a 17-year-old boy is just about one of the worst things you can be in the entire world. Oh, Ellis has got something. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be a teenager now. And I'm very glad that I was a teenager when I was a teenager because being a teenager with social media, mm. th- that must be absolutely horrendous. So I'm very glad that I'm of an age. Also, where I remember, uh, you know, time before the internet, I think is, is quite valuable. Because you talk to someone who's 25 and you explain that you didn't have a mobile phone until you were 19 and that you didn't have an email address until you were 20. And you may as well be a thousand years old, <laughs> but I quite liked it. Mm. So I, I, I am I am thankful that I grew up in the time I did. Nice, Richard. Uh, I think I, I love. I'm I'm 47 next week, uh, and um, yeah. Scorpio, uh, Sagittarius. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that lovely moment. So <laughs> I am competitive. <laughs> Just about horoscopes, though. <laughs> um, I love it. I think in your brain you're a certain age your whole life, aren't you? And I think probably in my brain I was about 40. And so as soon as I hit it, I thought, hold on, this is amazing. And I think once you've got kids, there's a, there's the, I think you're sort of the age your kids are to a certain extent. I know people who are my age who've got the sort of one-year-olds and two-year-olds. And you just think, oi, oi, oi. What you've got ahead of you, <laughs> man, oh, man, that's grim. Whereas mine, uh, you know, 19 and 17, so I sort of think, gosh, I've got maybe 30 years of literally just having fun uh, and enjoy myself for the rest of my life. And you give much less of a shit what people think about you. You get to the point where you realise you don't have to be ambitious anymore because it's a, the whole thing is fraudulent. You know, there isn't some golden kind of pot at the end of a rainbow that to reach. It just isn't. I got to that point when I was 14, I think. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the very psych- You mean apart from being on live at the Apollo? I mean, that's obviously the ultimate, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, I think once you tick that off the list, there's nothing... <laughs> There's nothing else to do, is there? It's, it's run for so many series now. Like the amount, I think... It's like National Service, isn't it? Everyone's done it. Pretty much everyone has done it, apart from you know, people who've uh, yeah, skived off for some reason. There's something wrong with your feet. Uh, I, I can't think of anything bad about getting older. I love it, love it, love it. I've never been happier than at 46 slash 47 when a, this goes out. That is a joyous answer. Thank you. Tom? Um, I am 34. I know, I look... Older. (laughs) Uh, But I... uh, So, I... Well, what I've experienced... uh, Yeah, I found that I felt like a square peg in a round hole, I think, for a lot of my teenage years and 20s. And I think your 20s are really marred by the fact that people are like, you should be this! And you watch films and they're like, you should be this, you should be that, you should be at this point. And I never was. And now in my 30s, I I think I echo what I've been saying about that sense of, ah, bollocks to everything. Like, you sort of go, I don't care. You know, things like... Bouncers are nice to me now. If ever I walk into a bar or something, like there used to be a time when I was younger and I was like, oh god, I shouldn't be in a bar. And then they'd be like these horrible bouncers sort of staring at you, go like, yeah, I need to look at your bag. Or you got any ID? And I'd feel really like, oh god, I shouldn't be here, God. Um, and now I go, stop being rude to me, child. And because um, they're younger than me, and also I think. I don't want to go to this bar anyway. I don't like going to bars and clubs. I think when I was in my teenage years, my 20s, it's like, oh, God, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this, you don't want to miss out. You, oh, everybody's going to do this. And now I'm in my 30s, I found myself going, 
no, I don't want to do that. Just like, just like sitting down mm. and um, <laughs> scented candles. <laughs> and in my age, in my head, I've always been about 60. Yeah, so. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, no shit nights out once you get to a certain age. I had a lot of shit nights out when I was yeah. younger. Mm. But that just doesn't happen anymore. Because you say no. Yeah, and you go to places that are nice. Mm. And you don't have to go out on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Oh. You can say, no, nope, <laughs> I'm just not, not going to. And you know what? I might even go to bed at 11 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Sanjeev, yes. what do you like about getting older, love? Everyone's revealing their ages, so I suppose I'll You don't to... need to. 54. Are you? Uh, yeah. A couple of weeks, two and a half you weeks are ago. Not. Oh, I am, yeah. That's the time to say Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was, oh, yeah. was teeing you up for that. <laughs> I forgot we were playing. Two and a half weeks ago. When was your, your birthday? Uh, 31st of October. Ooh. Ooh. Scorpio. No third. Scorpio. Not third. Scorpio. What a yeah. non-competitive Scorpio. response. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think what Richard was saying, actually, you just get to the point where it's just perspective and you kind of go, you've lived through enough and seen and hopefully understood and, and listened to enough people that you realise that actually largely not giving a shit is kind of where you're at. And the other thing is, I think in your 20s, and I think at whatever point you're in your 20s, there's this kind of, you don't know who you are, you're trying to find out who you are, you do that via other people, by their responses, by checking out what the lay of the land is, and everyone goes through some collective cynicism <laughs> in their 20s where, you know, it's kind of cool to kind of go, yes, that's shit, yeah, I don't care. And actually there's a point at which you you get to where you kind of go, actually, do you know, all that stuff about compassion and kindness stuff is actually really cool. And that's the stuff that gets exciting when you start to see that. Mm. And you're just not interested in the kind of cynical stuff as much. And so, yeah, you just kind of go, yeah, there's, I mean, there's stuff like, you know, I kind of, I went to the gym the other day and I'm still aching four days later, but um, <laughs> that, I didn't go in. Um, <laughs> thank long God walk, I didn't go long in. walk to the gym. Well, I'll tell you. Um, but it is. So you just get that perspective, and you kind of go, "Do you know what? It's mm. it's not that important." And you know, you know, I kind of lived through kind of ups and downs, and my career came out of kind of uh, you know being very unhappy with what I was doing. And I'm still slightly incredulous, as I'm sure many people are, that I'm still kind of doing what I am doing now. But that's incredibly lucky and fortunate. And then. You just get better at reading people. So you surround yourself with kind of just nicer people. People who are better for you, but just are as funny and as creative and just great. You can, mm. not, not the twats. No twats. Mm. You are no roughly twats. who you deserve to be at around about 50, I think. Oh, really? Mm. You, are, you are who you deserve to, is, is that who you deserve to be? Well, I think 50? if you, you know, we all have huge character flaws, but, you know, you can do a bit of work on yourself. And if you haven't done that by 50, it's probably for a good reason. And so if you're still... Uh, if, you, know, you know people you know and you still think, oh God, you're still a bit of a twat. And I think there's not really any excuse to still be a bit of a twat when you're 50. Unless you've decided to be a bit of a yeah, twat. So I've, exactly. I've, got, I've got 13 years left. <laughs> <laughs> Scorpio? <laughs> Hannah? Um, I am 44 on Friday. Oh. oh. Sagittarius. That's correct. <laughs> well done. How do you do that? Is that a kind of... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... I agree with everything that's been said here. I think, I think one of the quite reassuring things that happens when you get older is you have, like, a... When you're 17 or whatever age, you start formulating your opinions, your political opinions, and, like, your opinions of what you'd like your life to be. Quite often people who are older than you tell you, oh, you know, when you get older, 
when you start paying tax, you won't be so socialist. Or when you start, <laughs> um, you know, when you get to a certain age, you're going to want to have kids. And I find it quite reassuring that I am still the person that I was at 17, like I've kind of grown into the person that I thought I might be. So mm. yeah, the older you get, the less people can argue with the idea that that's not really a job, that thing you're suggesting might be a job or, you know. Mm. So, uh, and also uh, the older I get, the closer I get to paying my mortgage off, which is uh, tremendous. The frightening <laughs> thing though, is that when I was younger, I assumed everyone who is my age now knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. They do, but oh, yeah. <laughs> And they've all been on live at the Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all, we're all, yeah, we're, all, we're just winging it. Yeah. And I've very recently realised that I'm winging it, and that all, everyone I know is winging it. But I just assume that everyone in their 30s, when I was at school, like my dad when he was my age had a briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who has a briefcase knows what they're doing, surely. Did you ever look inside? No, yeah, it's just toilet just paper had, like, in an there. apple in it. <laughs> <laughs> he used to wear a flat cap, my dad, when he was 37. You could do that. You could rock a flat like, cap. Uh, flat cap and a briefcase is a strong look. Yeah. <laughs> That's very Shoreditch. It, well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, he was a civil servant who lived in Halford West. So, uh, but I, I just, I, I just can't believe that we're all getting away with it. So now I just, I just think, are you, do you, are you getting away with it as well? <laughs> like I, I've, I've, I went back to my old school and I met a lot of my old teachers and I just thought, are they, are they, is, are they, is, are their cars really horrible and dirty as well with loads of empty <laughs> coffee cups in them and all that what, sort of what stuff? What teachers? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's kind of, for instance, I've, the government are winging it. Like, whenever, whenever you... I think when the wings see, have fallen off in that yeah, case. Yeah, but when you... <laughs> like, the, the U-turn on Philip Hammond's budget, you just think, he's fucking making it up. They're all winging it. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a better analogy than a driverless car, which is what he was talking about today. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. We just all get a career off together. But it's frightening, because there used to be real deference to politicians for a long time. That absolutely... Um, that, that completely shaped the way most people voted. Yeah. But now I just think that's completely disappeared because they are all winging it, and it is terrifying. Like, like George Osborne doesn't even have an economics degree. What's he's, really terrifying? He has, he, has a, he has a modern history degree. I have a modern history degree. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to put me in charge of the fucking budget. <laughs> Oh, well, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't so I wouldn't mind that. No, what's really terrifying is some of them aren't winging it. Some of them are super bright and super compassionate, and we've lost the ability to differentiate between the two, is the truth. Yes. Because there are some, sorry to bring everyone down by saying some politicians are talented, but, uh, no, but you they, know, are. they are, and some people are in public service for a good reason and all that kind of stuff, and we've lost the ability to be respectful of people who are doing it for the right reasons and, and doing it with intelligence and compassion and all that kind of malarkey. Uh, and yeah, and the people at the top tend to be their the worst. Yes. That's the same in most industries, isn't it? Yeah. A friend of mine is an assistant to a backbench MP, and that backbench MP does a 90-hour week. Because then, you know, not all of them are bad, but certainly there are plenty at the top who seem to be making it up as but they go But to be fair, on. she only does a 90-hour week because whoever's booking her trains is doing such a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> We need to wrap things up. Um, should we? Should we do plugs, Hannah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, if anybody has anything to plug, Ellis, do you have anything to plug? 
Uh, to these lovely people and also to the podcast listeners? Oh, um... Have <laughs> you got 20 seconds to give an answer? <laughs> have you got any fans of Welsh language stand-up in? <laughs> oh? This has blown my mind. Um, well, I'm doing that. That, 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 that. That's on between Christmas and New Year. But I, the, I do a show with John Robbins on a Saturday and I'm very proud of the podcast. So it's the Ellis James and John Robbins show on Radio X. So either listen live or listen to the podcast because that's the thing I'm proudest of. Thank you. Richard? Next Friday, me, Barry Chuckle, the Crankies, live at the Apollo. Hope you watch. <laughs> Hope you like. <laughs> Brilliant lineup. It's really good, isn't it? It's really good. Gosh. Everybody's doing it. Um, I, am, I, I am on tour at the moment, and I've just added some new dates to the new year. So if anybody fancies coming to see me do a live show in a town near you, uh, details are on my website, tomindeed.com. Lovely. Sanjeev? Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, Paddington 2 is on at the cinemas, and it's a really, really wonderful film, and I play a little part in that. And also, my wife, Mira, starts in Annie in the West End in about three weeks. So, double plug. Can, nice. can, double plug. Yeah. Can I ask, are, are we getting another series of Unforgotten? That's very kind of you to ask. We start filming in February. In February? So, yeah, okay. it'll be series three. Oh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I have a book out, uh, which is my uh, autobiography, and also I'm on tour from the middle of January and uh, coming to London and pretty much everywhere else. Uh, and everything's on my website, sarahmillican.co.uk. Hannah? Yeah, well, the standard issue pods podcast, Podzine, um, which you can listen to, you find it on Acast or iTunes, it's me and Mick and Jen talking about things that interest women, which is pretty much everything, um, and we also do regular in-conversation events, which are like this, but with women, um, at... Mm. Lads, lads, lads! <laughs> <laughs> if this testosterone-fueled panel has just been too much for you... <laughs> it's been quite something, hasn't it? It's been... Uh, uh, <laughs> sitting up here and feeling the electricity has been quite something. You can smell it. Yeah. It's like rotting, we're like rotting stairs. No, no, that's me. me, you can smell <laughs> we've got, um, We've got shows at the uh, Leicester Square Theatre in Leicester Square. Um, in December, we've got... Um, uh, Saran Jones and Jojo Moyes and Rose Off Tenko, Stephanie Beecham, which I'm quite excited about. And Deborah Francis White. Deborah Francis White. And there's in January we have uh, um, Jennifer Jennifer, Saunders, yeah. Joe Wiley, and Joe Caulfield. So that should be, you should get on to a ticket now for that because that's selling really quickly. And we're doing one in Cambridge, which is currently Liz Carr and um, the poet Holly McNish and then there will be other guests added to that and February is uh, in London is Roisin Connady Izzy Sooty and Bridget Christie so that is another yeah. awesome I like lineup. Izzy Sooty she's very good she is I've, yes. I've you, know, you know she's married to Sandy Baskar didn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we share a calendar <laughs> <laughs> also we, we need to plug shall I yeah. shall we okay so um, like we said at the start um, we are um, we're interested in gender equality, and we know that it affects men and women um, as, as well. If, if we, as feminists, we want to multitask. If you want to improve women's lot, then uh, get rid of the, the idea of the perfect woman. Uh, you probably should get rid of the idea of the perfect man as well, because in all seriousness, that's a really harmful and toxic message. And men find. Don't they generally, they don't reach out, they don't talk, they don't ask for help as much as women do, and it can have some devastating consequences as 
we actually know, I'm sure people on the stage here too know, you know, men turn to drink, they turn to drugs, they sadly turn to suicide. We have a collection outside for some people with some buckets for CALM, which is the Campaign Against Living Miserably, uh, which is a, a male suicide prevention charity. If you have any folding money you would like to throw in their buckets, you will be doing or coins. a great service. Or coins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can fold coins. I don't know if you can. Yeah, uh, possibly. I don't think they're real <laughs> if you can, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, if you could donate, that would be awesome. Um, and, uh, sort of, you know, we're here to raise awareness for, for, for Calm because it's an exceptional uh, charity. Uh, and please um, thank our amazing panel that we've had tonight. Uh, Sanji Bhaskar, Tom Allen, Richard Osman and Ellis James. You've been so good. Thank you so much, everybody. Good night. Hello, welcome back. Just a quick word at the end to say thanks very much to everyone at the Shaw Theatre where we recorded this, to everyone who came, to all of our guests, Richard Osman, Sanjeev Bhaskar, Tom Allen and Ellis James, to Maddie Hickish for being a technical wizard and to our Jen, Jen Offord, uh, for all of her organisation. If you want to listen to any more of these, if this is your first Standard Issue podcast by any chance, go back. We've got loads of these events, um, including some truly terrific guests. Uh, you'll find Dawn French in there. You'll find Sandy Toxvig, Sharon Horgan, Miranda Hart. You name a brilliant woman and um, we might well have spoken to her. So tuck in. And if you're a regular listener, well, just thanks for tuning in. Just time to say our music was recorded by Barry Hilton. All rights reserved. Happy New Year to you. Standard issue for all women.